Welcome back to the Carnivore Yogi Podcast. This is episode 43, and today I'm really excited about today's guest, Dr. Michael Twyman. He focuses on the prevention and early detection of heart disease. He is a board-certified cardiologist with many years of clinical experience working with patients and helping them prevent heart disease. He's also an integrative functional medicine doctor. I consider him a quantum cardiologist, a biohacker, and a photobiomodulation or red light therapy expert. And in this episode, we cover an array of topics. We talk about you know, how he got into light water and magnetism and how he integrates it into his patients who are struggling with heart issues red light therapy of course and what are the real risk factors for heart disease is it cholesterol is it your cac score and why those two things may not be the best indicator of if you are in trouble or in danger of experiencing a heart attack or stroke we also talk about mitochondrial haplotype how people can improve their mitochondrial health his views on vitamin d and what are optimal vitamin D levels, vitamin D supplementation, and ideal cholesterol levels, which is something that I feel like we get a little bit confused in the keto and carnivore community. So it was really cool and refreshing to speak with somebody who is a little bit out of that realm. He's definitely keto and carnivore friendly, but he is a little bit outside of that realm when it comes to diet. He doesn't believe that one specific diet works best for just everyone. So I think you guys are really, really going to enjoy this. Again, he's a board certified cardiologist, has many years of clinical experience in helping patients and was just a generally amazing, nice, kind person to talk to. So please do enjoy this episode. Speaking of which, if you are enjoying my podcast, I really would love it if you could head on over to Apple, leave me up to a five-star review, and as well as take a screenshot and share this episode, tag me, tag Dr. Twyman. We would love to hear from you, especially if this episode is impactful and helpful for you in your daily life. Speaking of enjoying this episode, I hope you've noticed that I've added in timestamps in the show notes for you guys on almost all of my episodes now. And that is because I have two sponsors that are helping to help me make this show possible. So the first sponsor that I want to thank today is going to be Upgraded Formulas. I am a huge fan of their hair tissue mineral analysis and helping to make sure that my mineral needs are in check. If our mineral needs are not being met, the functions of our body, the way that we're able to transport energy through the body, magnesium is such a huge energy transporter for the entire body. If those things are off, our sodium and potassium, and when we go on a low carb diet, these things do have a tendency to be a little bit more difficult to manage. So that is why I'm a huge fan of the hair tissue mineral analysis with a consultation from Upgraded Formulas. You can use my code YOGI12 to save on anything on their website. You guys know I highly, highly recommend their magnesium. I use it every night on myself and as well as my family before bed helps me get amazing deep sleep, amazing dreams. So check out Upgraded Formulas. Use my code YOGI12 to save on anything on their website. My second sponsor is going to be Optimal Carnivore. As you know, I am not a huge fan of eating organ meats unless I'm forced to do so. So I absolutely love their organ complex. It is something that I take every day. My child takes it every day. They also have a beef liver supplement that we take. During these colder winter months, I believe it is a little bit more important for us to have 
these nutrients in our diets. And again, organ meats are not everyone's favorite thing to eat. So that is why I love Optimal Carnivore. You can use my code CARNIVORE, capital Y, over on Amazon to save on any of the Optimal Carnivore supplements. That link will be in the show notes for you guys. And again, thank you to Upgraded Formulas and Optimal Carnivore for sponsoring today's episode. Let's get to the show. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for coming back and tuning in. I am very excited about today's guest. I have a quantum cardiologist here with me, and I'm really excited to get his take on things like cholesterol, heart disease from his point of view of a quantum cardiologist. So thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And if you wouldn't mind, um, Dr. Twyman, just kind of giving everyone a little bit of your background, you're a legitimate cardiologist, you served in the army. Can you tell everyone a little bit about your history? So I did all my uh, conventional training at St. Louis University School of Medicine. Uh, after I completed my internal medicine training, I actually was in the Navy. I did uh, uh, some payback time in Beaufort, South Carolina, mostly taking care of the Marine recruits in that area, as well as the retirees. And then when I completed that uh, four years of active duty, came back to St. Louis University, did three more years of general cardiology, and I'm a board certified cardiologist, but my passion now is really focusing on uh, kind of disease at a much earlier stage and waiting for somebody to have that heart attack or stroke. Uh, so I launched my own practice two years ago and, uh, you know, kind of came upon the, uh, the quantum world probably two, three years ago and deep down that, you know, rabbit hole of light water magnetism. So really looking at mitochondrial health and how uh, that light water magnetism impacts the mitochondria because the heart is mostly mitochondria. It is. Yeah. The, the largest sources of mitochondria is the brain and the heart. And for women, of course, the, the ovaries, the eggs, right? Correct. Yeah. Well, how did you come upon, uh, mitochondrial health and, and light water and magnetism? What's your story to, to kind of dive in and got your practice moving in that direction? So back in uh, 2017, uh, my wife wanted to go to the country of Bhutan, which is, you know, sandwiched between China and India. And it's about the size of uh, Indiana for those in the States, but, uh, where I'm currently located in St. Louis, it's about a 14 hour flight to that area. So pretty long, uh, jet lag, uh, uh, you know, chances to you know, go that far. So did some research on how to kind of mitigate jet lag and came upon these blue, black and glasses and didn't really know any of the science at that time. I just bought the glasses, you know, hopped on the plane with them, got over there. Jet lag wasn't that bad. And so when I got back, started doing a lot of reading about circuit biology. And then a couple of years later than that, I uh, met a you know, gentleman who had worked with Dr. Cruz and then introduced me to that world and just been reading Jack's blogs and that, you know, there's thousands of podcasts he has. So uh, that's how I kind of got into that light water magnetism world. It's awesome. And, and how did you start integrating it into your practice with your patients? Initially, it was just mostly the uh, kind of the circadian code book by Dr. Panda, just teaching people how to, you know time their windows of nutrition and then just the importance of, you know, natural sunlight, especially in the morning time to set your circadian rhythms. That's still my kind of bread and butter things to teach people with. And then, you know, if they want to go deeper down the rabbit hole, then teaching them about photomodulation and deuterium depleted water and all that uh, fun stuff. Awesome. Yeah. My audience is definitely interested in that. And I saw on your website, you're a photo biomodulation expert, correct? Uh, enough to be dangerous. I guess, I don't know, expert is a term other people give me sometimes, but uh, uh, yeah, I have fun with it and been playing around with some different panels and 
I have this giant uh, beast panel in my office and uh, uh, just seeing how well I can uh, charge people's mitochondria up with it. Yeah, I'm very jealous of your large EMR tech panel. I always see it on your page. And I know Chris posts it a lot on his page also. Yeah, I mean, uh, had about, you know, six weeks and uh, have a few patients who've really given it a go. And uh, yeah, they all rave about it. That's awesome. Very cool. Well, I know you're a cardiologist. And so my audience, a lot of them are keto and carnivore. And so there's always a lot of questions about cholesterol and, you know, I, I know it's like a broad question, but I wanted to talk about cholesterol. I also wanted to talk about the CAC score because, you know, what do people really need to be concerned with when we're thinking about preventing heart attack, heart disease, those types of things? Great question. And that's the thing is that, you know, I, I take care of a lot of people, you know, done carnivore and keto diets and, you know, they're, you know, get mixed messages, you know, that cholesterol doesn't matter. Then you know, your cholesterol yeah. is high, you're going to have a heart attack. Well, first off, you know, go look at the health of the arteries, you know, what is going on inside because the blood work is just a biomarker. It just tells you, you know, what are probabilities. So, you know, the arteries tell the whole story. So to have plaque in your arteries, you got to have three things. You got to have endothelial dysfunction. So that interlining of the artery gets damaged, got to have inflammation and you got to have the right lipoproteins going through the system sticking to that endothelium and depositing or dumping their payload into the walls of the artery. So you'd mentioned that calcium score test, also known as a CT coronary calcium score or CAC scan, uh, generally about $100 or so in the US and it's a low dose radiation CT scan. And it looks at the three arteries that sit on the outside of the heart. Uh, generally, you should not have calcium in the arteries. Calcium is supposed to be in your bones. So if you have calcium in your arteries, it indicates that plaque is present and the body's trying to repair that plaque by fibrosing it and scarring it down. So if your calcium score is zero, you're generally considered low risk of having a heart attack or stroke, irrespective of what your cholesterol is. But if you have a calcium score that's 400 or higher, you're pretty high risk. And you probably want to talk to your doctors about doing something to mitigate your lipid profile. But first, you know, test the arteries, what are the health of it? Then use the biomarkers to kind of guide things. And you mentioned, you know, cholesterol. Cholesterol, you know, was put into you by mother nature, God, or whatever you believe, you know, to help you. It's not there to necessarily harm you. And so there's no such thing as good cholesterol, or bad cholesterol. There's just cholesterol. Use the mm -hmm. cholesterol to make your hormones, to make your bile acids, to make the cell membranes. So without cholesterol, you're dead. The only quote bad cholesterol is the cholesterol that gets deposited into the walls of the artery. So how does it get there? It gets there by these lipoproteins and the lipoproteins are basically like cargo ships or cars. They're made in the liver. They fill up full of triglycerides, which is energy for the cells, vitamins, different things called phospholipids, which are building blocks for the cells. And those lipoproteins deliver it through the blood vessels. If the blood vessels are healthy. That's great. But the blood vessels are injured or sick. Those things kind of stick there like Velcro and they may get retained into the walls of the artery. And then, um, you know, plaque forms and the plaque is basically think of it like a pimple or abscess building up on the wall of your artery. Generally, it's going to be very silent until that pimple ruptures. And then that's what the heart attack or stroke actually is. Wow. Yeah. I have a lot of people that have, you know, quote unquote, high cholesterol and that their CAC score is zero. That's not for everyone though. I did have a client recently that her cholesterol was, I think about 300 and her CAC was a 169. And I was like, you know what, at this point, I think you need to, I, I need to refer you out to somebody because this is well beyond my expertise here. And those 
two markers together just make me feel a little bit uncomfortable, you know? No, and that definitely should. I mean, that's an appropriate referral out to somebody like myself or somebody who can actually tell the person, okay, what is the risk to continue that type of diet? Or, you know, are they willing to go on, you know, different uh, supplements or medications to modify the lipid profile? So, um, so first look to see, you know, is the calcium score zero? Great. They're low risk. That doesn't mean that that's still the perfect diet for you. There's still some mm-hmm. other things you may want to look at. You know, there's a lot of guys online, you know, that are, you know, hardcore carnivores, you know, pumping up that, you know, they got a calcium score of zero. But that just means they're just not late to the game. They're not, you know, calcifying plaques in their arteries. They could have a lot of soft plaque building up in their arteries, still be at high risk of a heart attack and not know it. So you have to do a little bit more advanced testing and those people to really tell them, okay, your diet's not having a negative impact on your artery health. What kind of testing would they need to look at? The two big ones would be endothelial function test. So how much nitric oxide can your arteries release? If you have healthy nitric oxide in the artery walls, less likely that those lipoproteins are sticking to the arteries. And then there's a special type of carotid scan called a carotid intimal medial thickness test or CIMP scan ultrasound that looks at the thickness of the walls of the artery. If your arteries are getting thick, means the walls are inflamed. And if they're inflamed, there's more likely plaque to develop. That test will also give you some called the vascular age. So if you're biologically 45, but your arteries are 65, you're actually 65 years old. Wow. So, so that's how you want to know, like if your arteries are aging faster than you, then whatever you're doing currently is not working for you and you got to be more aggressive. Yeah. I mean, and I'm all about this last year, I've really gone down the rabbit hole of circadian biology and my focus on diet has become less and less. And I've become over the last, and you know, after putting myself on the internet for the last three years and just sharing my journey with everyone, I've talked with like thousands and thousands of people at this point. And I'm, I feel pretty good at this point about saying that I don't know that everyone needs to do carnivore or a ketogenic diet, nor is it the best thing for everyone. I'm sure I'll probably get people that listen to this and watch it on YouTube. And they're like, what? (laughs) But I feel like we need to have a conversation about, you know, what type of person may not want to have 80% of their diet be fat. I mean, and, you know, and that's the thing too, is that, you know, nutrition is important. I'm not going to ever tell people it's not, but the light environment, your circadian rhythms are going Mm -hmm. to trump that. And so, you know, most diets ideally should be seasonal. You would be eating what normally would have been outside your home. Like, you know, if you can some food, great. But most of the time, you know, if you're in a Northern environment and there's not a lot of sunlight that time of year, you don't have a lot of vegetables and fruits. So you'd be more catotic or you'd eat more carnivore that time of year. And in the summer, you'd switch it back up. That kind of goes into the, you know, the mitochondrial haplotype, you know, that's something you can get off your 23andMe report that gives you an idea of, you know, ballpark is that, you know, keto carnivore diet likely to work for you. It doesn't explicitly tell you that, but it gives you an idea. Um, and then, you know, there's some genetic tests you can do called APOE. You know, if your mm-hmm. APOE is a four, the keto diet might not necessarily work well for you. Um, and there's some other testing you can do that tells you how well you absorb fats from your gut. So some people have a, you know, I'll use the medical term. They have a broken Neiman one pick like receptor. Basically it's mm-hmm. a bouncer, uh, on the gut lining and that, you know, it senses what's floating through the gut. Well, that bouncer sometimes opens up and lets, you know, the lipid proteins come right back in. So it sends it back to the portal circulation. So you basically open the doors back up and now your cholesterol levels are going to keep rising because you keep absorbing everything through your gut. So those are the people that, you know, they need to consider a certain medication that keeps that door closed. If they're going to continue that kind of diet. 
So someone that has maybe like a cholesterol over 500, do you think that that's concerning or they should look in to see if they are lacking specific um, fat transport systems in the body? For sure. Yes. I mean, if somebody's, you know, total cholesterol is 500, their LDLC is 300. Now, is that a problem? Likely, but, you know, go check first on the health of the arteries. So do they have healthy endothelium? Do they have healthy intima? So their vascular age is younger than their biologic age. Great. Their calcium score is zero. Great. Okay. Then look at the blood work and look at the lipoproteins, like something called ApoB, which is basically how many cargo ships are carrying that cholesterol around the system. Look at the inflammation, if any is present, if you have inflammation, you got to fix that. And then you could look at these kind of fat transporters. So there's tests that can tell you, you know, do you have a broken Neiman one pick like receptor and you're going to hyperabsorb this stuff through your gut, you know, the ApoE gene, you know, you only got to check that once, you know, if you have an ApoE4 gene, you know, keto and carnivore might not necessarily be right for you. And there's a couple of different labs that can check your kind of, it's called your, um, like your saturated fat balance. So, you know, how well are you absorbing that? So you can decide if, you know, the fat uh, transporters are working appropriately or, or not appropriately based off that type of blood work. What about omega three to six ratio? How, how does that play into that? And people, should people test that and be concerned about having a high omega six to three ratio in the blood? That's great. Yeah. That's, that's one of the tests that's included in that, you know, checking that saturated fat profile, but it'll give you that information. So, you know, uh, evolutionarily, you know, the, the ratio is almost probably close to one to one where you'd only have, you know, one omega six to one omega three in the standard American diet, the diet's probably like 15 to 20 times higher in omega six than it is omega three. Mm -hmm. And the omega threes are you know, mostly the cold water fish. You know, that's the, the DHA and the EPA of those that you're actually you know using now, the EPA is a little bit more important for vascular health. The DHA is a little bit more important for brain health and um, the, the neurovascular system, but you know, you can get that uh, test uh, pretty simply and it gives you the ratio. Ideally you like that omega six to omega three ratio be less than four to one. Gotcha. Yeah. That's my big concern with people. Now that I've started entering the world of, you know, quantum physics and circadian biology, I eat a spoonful of salmon roe almost every day, at least five days a week. Um, cause I know I do have the APO gene. I did test that. And so that's one thing I'm super, super careful with is make sure I get the, the spoonful of salmon roe in there. Um, but you think you have concerns with people that have that gene period eating saturated fat. I heard, I hear different doctors say different things. In ways. Yes. I mean, sometimes, you know, those people need to be, you know, cutting the saturated fat down probably less than 50 grams a day and mm -hmm. then substituting more with monounsaturated. So the avocados and the olive oils, you know, can be replacement if they want to stay on that kind of high fat diet. Um, that's kind of the first step is, you know, if they're real, not really willing to come off of a high fat diet is switch up the types of fats. And then, you know, if their lipid particles uh, don't improve or their, you know, uh, vascular inflammation markers don't improve, then you got to really kind of have that conversation like, you know, and they may be feeling benefits of your brain health, but your cardiovascular system is going to take a hit over time if you can stay on this type of diet. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I'm always curious about is like one system sometimes will work really well when you do a diet like that, but then are we pushing down another one. Like I had a really good talk with Dr. Will Cole about that. Cause he's more of a plant-based keto doctor. <laughs> and so it was interesting to talk to him from my perspective. And yeah, I mean, I think that we have to keep an open mind when we're looking at things like that. And now I'm so much on fire about light and circadian biology. It's like, you know, we don't have to be married to a specific diet. I think um, it's important to keep an open mind. 
hundred percent agree. I mean, I think the, the biggest tips are, you know, people need to focus on just, you know, there is no perfect diet for everybody. It's, you know, individualized and it can be individualized to your quantum yield that you have in your local environment. Yes. And speaking of that, you mentioned the mitochondrial haplotype. Um, I just did a consult with, uh, Dr. Gasvini. I don't know if you know, Corey, mm-hmm. um, yeah, he's a good friend of mine. And we figured out that my haplotype is an H. So that's why I'm upping my cold therapy right now. And for people who are like, what is she even talking about? My, <laughs> my ancestry is like a Northwestern European history um, or ancestry. Um, that's my mitochondrial haplotype. So for people who are in the lower equatorial, their haplotype is there. What would you say for them um, diet-wise would be a little bit more appropriate that you see work with your patients a little bit better? So for the people who are more, um, you know, equatorial or, you know, tightly coupled haplotypes, you know, those are the people that need to run more on sunlight, you know, um, and those are the people that need to, um, you know, potentially be more, they could be more carbohydrate based. If they're in a high light environment, they can get away with that. They'll they'll be able to kind of uh, burn that stuff off more efficiently. Um, but, you know, I mentioned, you know, you know, why, why would cold therapy even be beneficial for somebody with an H haplotype is that, you know, I usually kind of use my fingers as the, the respiratory proteins, you know, they're, they're far apart. You know, when you use that cold therapy, you get those things to come together closer because the mitochondria are making heat and that heat shrinks the water around them. And then the electrons funnel more efficiently through the, the mitochondria respiratory proteins that way. So, you know, anything that makes energy more efficiently you know, you can turn your brain on better. You can turn your heart on better. You can turn on your immune system better. You know, if you're you know, trying to get pregnant, you want your ovaries to work better. So, you know, energy is, uh, is the key. Exactly. And that's, that's where we really need to look at when it comes to our health is not like, let's say everyone needs to do this or everyone needs to do that. I think that's where I'm really enjoying a lot of this work is dialing it into you know, mitochondrial haplotype, and then the latitude that you're at, like everyone's freaking out about Dr. Saladino right now. Um, I don't know if you know him very well, Karn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's in Costa Rica and he's surfing all day. He's on the beach all day. And he's talking about eating a lot of carbohydrates and, and eating a lot of fruits. And I think that people don't understand when you're in that sort of a latitude, you, UV light is going to deplete your glycogen. You've got the sand, the sun, the surf, all of those things. And you can get away, I think, with eating a lot more carbohydrates. But if you're in Connecticut in November, like it is now, maybe you shouldn't be eating bananas and papayas and, <laughs> and all of those things, right? Correct. I mean, you know, when you have a high UV you know, index uh, on your eyes and skin, you know, your body's uh, glucose sensitivity is better. You're going to be able to handle that a little bit more effectively. We also, you know, if you want to go down the rabbit hole of deuterium, it's, you know, it's, it's yes. a deuterium story. So when you're, you know, in, you know, Costa Rica, you know, you can clear, you know, the deuterium more effectively than you can being up in Detroit and having no sunlight, you know, at five o'clock in, at night. So, um, so you're exactly right. That's why there is no perfect diet for anybody. It depends on your haplotype and it depends on your latitude. And then also the population density, you know, how many other people are, are hanging around with you with, uh, with their cell phones and everything else. Yeah, I agree. And that's the big thing I see. And I'd love to get your take on this. I have a lot of people that reach out to me since I've been talking about vitamin D levels and how that I've doubled my vitamin D. It was like at a 33 in May. And then I got it. Actually, I got it up over a hundred when I tested it in September. 
with no supplements, just sun, sunlight, just going outside sunrise, you know, getting UVA and then UVB, like trying to do it in the correct order. Um, I was able to, to get that up over a hundred, which is crazy. Of course they freaked out when I got it done. They were like, Oh no, 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 that's terrible. That's toxic. And I was like, I'm not worried. It's at an 80 now. So it's come down a bit cause it's November, but, um, <laughs> What about people? This is what I'm seeing. A lot of people in big cities. Now I am in Atlanta, but I have a lot of people in New York and LA that follow me that literally laid out in the sun all summer and their vitamin D didn't budge at all. Do you think that's because they're in like a high EMF environment? Or like you said, you know, people have a bunch of cell phones and just Wi-Fi and all kinds of things everywhere. Do you think that it plays into it? Their inability to complete deuterium? Not just deuterium. I think it's also just that their uh, intracellular water is not mm. as, uh, you know, the exclusion zone isn't as great. And if you don't have water hydrating your cells, it doesn't matter how much solar exposure you're getting, you just can't harness that power as well. And so, you know, I just had a consult before we jumped on this, you know, this gentleman's, you know, vitamin D levels like 32. And mm. I was like, well, you know, I want to see at least 60 from a cardiovascular standpoint, you know, without supplementing, but when you're using your technology, you have to be protecting your eyes. You have to be, you know, trying to cut down on the EMF exposure because the EMFs are basically like microwaving you, you're dehydrating yourself. And when you're dehydrated, you don't make vitamin D, you know, vitamin D is a hormone. So the people that are in LA and New York and say, you know, they're outside and, you know, picking the clothes off and they still have vitamin D levels of 20 something. It's probably because of, you know, the EMF exposure and in great part. Yeah, I agree. And that's, that's a hard conversation to have, you know, Jack, when I interviewed him, I felt like it was like a freight train kind of running through my (laughs) living room. I didn't get to ask as many questions, but he was like, yeah, if you live in a big city like that, then I would recommend those people drink deuterium depleted water or move. Um, (laughs) What would your recommendations be for somebody like that? Well, yeah, I mean, I know that's sometimes his default answer is you got to move, but uh, yeah, okay. so, you know, first figure out, you know, is there something a little bit easier that you can do? Like, you know, are you wearing your blue blocking glasses when you're using your technology with screens? You know, do you, you know, try to mitigate the, you know, the EMF, at least when you're sleeping so that, you know, you have a low EMF period when your body can do autophagy and apoptosis and repair the damage so that maybe the next day you're able to harness the solar, you know, uh, frequencies a little bit better in the water that you can make. So now there are some steps you can make, but if it's a chronic, uh, kind of condition that you have, then yeah, you might need to do stuff like, you know, do a sun run every once in a while and go soak up, you know, a better quantum yield for, you know, four or six days. And then maybe that gives you a boost for a month or so. And then, you know, once you kind of figure out that, you know, you can do that and, you know, maintain your health the way you want. Great. But if not, then yeah, then you maybe do need to figure out, you know, do you need to move further South based off your, uh, kind of health, you know, if you got cancer autoimmunity, you gotta, you gotta do more than somebody who's just trying to, you know, remain optimal and they're 25 years old. I hope you guys are enjoying today's episode with Dr. Twyman. Make sure you check out the information section, the show notes of today's episode so that you can find out how to follow him over on social media and his website in case you are interested in getting a consultation. I do feel like I'm going to have several audience members that could benefit from having a consultation with him and his expertise, again, as a board certified cardiologist with many years of experience in practice and 
also from the quantum viewpoint. It's hard for me to talk to people that are not involved in that quantum space at this point. I also wanted to pause and thank today's sponsors, Optimal Carnivore. If you are missing out on those amazing nutrients that you can only get from organ meats, check out Optimal Carnivore. My code to save is carnivore uppercase Y. And also upgraded formulas if you are experiencing fatigue, muscle cramps, any kind of restlessness, I really urge you to check out the hair tissue mineral analysis with a consultation and just check in and see where your levels are at. They have an amazing expert team who have helped a ton of my clients as well as myself in getting those minerals balanced. My code over at Upgraded Formulas is Yogi12. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening and let's get back to the episode. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, when we hit 25, we start to have a decline in mitochondrial function. And I think people don't, don't really understand that that's, I mean, none of us are getting out of here without that, (laughs) but we have to figure out ways to help ourselves not decline in that way. For sure. And, you know, that's kind of the, you know, I take a family history from a patient, uh, you know, I will ask about, you know, siblings and dad's, you know, health, but I always start with, you know, how healthy was your mom? How healthy was her mom? Uh, because that gives you an idea of kind of what mitochondria that, you know, the person that's in front of you likely was born with. And I tell them, you know, sometimes people are born with, you know, 20 year old parts inside. And so they're the people that are breaking down in their thirties, but their insides are basically 50 or 60 years old. So, you know, every 10 years or so that you live, your mitochondria get, you know, 10% less effective at making energy. So, you know, if life is energy, you know, you have no energy, you're dead. So what can you do to protect the mitochondria is really the key for uh, optimizing health span and longevity. And do you think somebody who is born with mitochondria, that's a little bit older. So their parents passed down some DNA that had a little damage on it. Um, do you think they can improve their mitochondrial health? or are they just going to be fighting an uphill battle for a lot of their life? It depends on, you know, what environment they are. I mean, if, you know, if their parents were born in a low solar quantum yield type place and you stay in that place, you're likely to break down just like your parents did. So, mm-hmm. you know, you maybe can mitigate it with, you know, more earth and grounding, photobiomodulation, more sun gazing, you know, drinking cleaner water than your parents did. But if, you know, you're getting sicker sooner, you need to do more. And if you've already done all the biohacks, then you need to go where you can get more stable uh, UV light for yourself to charge up more effectively. So even somebody with like a Northern haplotype still would probably want to go towards more UV light, you think? They can at least use UV. I mean, the people with the Northern haplotypes can also still use CT year round to kind of benefit things. So the cold therapy will help you, um, you know, basically shuttle energy more effectively in the mitochondria. And then when you get UV exposure with it, you're, you know, kind of uh, synergistically benefiting the, the energy production with UV and cold. So, uh, so it really is depending on, you know, what the person's, uh, you know, issues are at that moment. You know, if somebody's got cancer, autoimmunity, severe heart disease, they have to do more. If it's just somebody young and what's it, they want to kind of, you know, I usually tell people like, you know, you got to kind of plan the end game. You know, if your goal is to live, you know, a hundred years old, What's that look like for you? And then you got to reverse engineer. What do you need to do to get there in a healthy manner? You know, if you don't keep your muscles healthy, if you don't keep your brain healthy, what's the purpose of getting to hundred years old? Exactly. And, you know, you mentioned talking with a patient about family history, about their parents, 
what other markers do you use or questions do you ask to determine someone's mitochondrial health? I know they have probably come in with a list of symptoms and things, but do you have like a formal assessment that you use or ways that you can determine that? I mean, it's, you know, basically it's going to be based off, you know, they're, you know, how well do you sleep? You know, how, you know, how much energy do you have? You know, you know, you know I take care of some, you know, high level athletes, but you know, the, the weekend warriors, you know, like, you know, how easier your exercises, you know, you're recovering well from those, you know, the, the mitochondrial, you know, there's no specific lab. You can say, okay, you got good mitochondria, you got bad mitochondria. It's, you know, it's a whole type of a panel of labs that kind of support it, but you know, people are not sleeping well. Um, you know, they're generally not going to have healthy mitochondria. So start with that first. And then once you got them sleeping well, and they got the chicken rhythms dialed in, then you can kind of dig into the, the blood markets and see what, what remains and what you need to, to fine tune. Got it. Um, my, I was curious to know your thoughts on vitamin D supplementation. Are you in the camp of let's not go there and let's try to find some more natural ways to bump that up? Or do you use supplementation with patients? I mean, it, it's a great question. Um, you know, in my you know former you know life, I you know, probably supplemented every single person because everybody was deficient. Um, yeah. And then once I learned a little bit more about how the you know the world really works from a quantum standpoint, you know, I supplement a lot less people. I personally don't supplement myself. You know, yeah, I was one of those people that supplemented a lot and had you know a vitamin D level like 120 with supplementation. So I uh, oh, stopped wow. that, and then. Yeah, now I think my most recent vitamin D is like 75 without supplementing. So I know you can do it. And you just mentioned that, you know, you can do it as well without supplementing. So now if somebody's, you know, blood levels are less than 30, you know, I'll generally at least supplementing up to that point, but while still teaching them, you know, you still need, you know, sunlight on your skin to sulfate the cholesterol that, so that it actually activates the vitamin D. So, you know, it's the, the story of, you know, vitamin D, you know, is a hormone. It's just telling you what your body is being exposed to in the environment. And so if you're putting a vitamin D pill into your stomach, but your eyes and skin don't see that same message, your body's like, where did this come from? You're not in, you know, high UV light this time of year. So it's not going to give the body the same message. And also, um, you know, in this day and age, you know, your skin makes a lot more compounds when UV light hits it. So you want to kind of know that if somebody's natural vitamin D level is, you know, 20 without supplementing, they're probably missing a lot of other compounds too. You know, if their blood levels are 60, they're probably making the things that their immune system needs to fight off infections. So if you have a high blood level and it's kind of augmented artificially, that doesn't necessarily tell you that their immune system's working optimally. Mm, interesting. And what are your thoughts on people using like a vitamin D lamp, maybe with an EMR tech or a red light panel to supplement during the winter? I think it's an option. Uh, you know, I, personally have one I have on the Spurdy, uh, Fiji yep, lamps Spurdy. and yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, but it's one of these where I highly encourage people to follow the directions to a T because this is the one wavelength of light. If you don't know what you're doing with it, you could definitely injure yourself. So, you know, uh, less is probably more with these things, you know, the, so follow it based off your Fitzpatrick type. So how likely it is that your skin burns, you know, if you've already built up a solar callus, you know, you probably can do a little bit more. But that is definitely the, the next level biohack is, you know, uh, is that in mother nature, you would never have just UV by itself. You'd always have yeah. the other healing wavelengths of light and red would always be present with it. So that is the, the, the biohack is if you're going to use one of these pretty D type lamps also have a photobiomodulation panel with it so that you're getting the red and infrared at the same time. I agree. And I, I feel like I need to make a long YouTube video explaining the, the whole Sparity lamp, because if I'm going to use my lamp, I've already seen sunrise that morning. 
I don't have to get my daughter to school until nine o'clock. So I see sunrise and then her and I usually are out there for UVA light. So what people don't understand is UVB, it's like a cascade. You want to have that cortisol making a gradual rise. It's like a sunscreen for your body to prep it for the UVB light. And I feel like most of the research that's out there and the studies that are out there about the UVB and cancer are with a lot of um, tanning beds, right? Where people are just jumping in the tanning beds and they haven't prepped their hormonal system and their skin to receive the UVB. So it's like a, it's such a nuanced conversation when we talk about adding that lamp in to help get the, the D up. It's important, but it has to be done the right way safely. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, that's why I tell people, you know, it's, it's pretty hard to hurt yourself with photomodulation. It's pretty easy yeah. to hurt yourself with UVB if you don't know what you're doing with it. And so always try to recreate what mother nature is intending. So, you know, what time of day is UVB out? Well, depends where you're at on, on, on the earth, but you know, from 10 AM to 2 PM, well, that's probably when you want to use your spurty then, you know? So, uh, that's the, the kind of the hack is, you know, try to recreate what mother nature is doing at that time of the year. Yeah. And Corey, I mean, he lives down in Florida, Florida, Dr. Gasvini, and he says to take the spirity outside, you know? So if you don't have neighbors that can peep over and see you, he's like, ideally you're taking the spirity outside between 10 and two. So your eyes are at least getting the signal as well. So yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you spoke about cholesterol and vitamin D. Can you expand on that a little bit for people? So, I mean, vitamin D is a hormone and uh, the majority of your hormones, uh, the precursor is going to be cholesterol. So when the, uh, the UVB rays hit your skin, it sulfates or, you know, it modifies the uh, cholesterol. And then that uh, pro-hormone goes to your kidneys and livers to actually get activated into the active form of vitamin D. So now sometimes people give me the, uh, the question, you know, like, well, can I lower my cholesterol levels? If I just go out in the sun a lot, you know, will that do enough? Not really. I mean, you, you know, every cell in your body is making cholesterol um, for the most part, you know, the, the red blood cells don't make their own supply per se, but, um, but you know, the, uh, the body likes to stay, you know, somewhat in equilibrium, you know, with the cholesterol. So, you know, there are certain dietary things that you can do that can, you know, modify the lipids, but typically uh, if you stop it, you know, the body will go back into a homeostasis on how much lipoproteins are getting pumped out from the liver over time, the receptors that clear it from the bloodstream stay the same. And it, you know, if you have that Neiman one pick like receptor, that's genetically built into you in the gut. So that would mean, you know, you're hyper absorbing if that you know, receptor stays open. So, you know, I've not seen that, you know, you can get more sunlight and lower your uh, mm -hmm. cholesterol because you're turning it so much into vitamin D. So, um, so I usually just say, you know, you know, even I guess I should back up a little bit, you know, you know, sometimes patients end up on lipid lowering therapies, you know, it's not going to have an effect on your body ability to make vitamin D. Um, you know, you're just basically lowering the ApoB particles that are floating through your bloodstream. You know, that's helping with vascular health. You know, if your body needs more cholesterol, your liver will make more or uh, the cells will make their own supply of it. Gotcha. And what would you consider an ideal cholesterol level? I know there's, it's not just a, a standard thing, but what would you say is an ideal level? So that's a kind of a loaded question. It really depends yeah, it on what, what, what your arteries <laughs> are, what they're seeing with that. So uh, you know, if, you, if you could only look at one quote cholesterol number, I would look at your ApoB containing particles um, okay. and the ApoBs on the outside of your LDL particles, 
the VLDL particles and LPA little particles, if you have LPA, which 20% of the popula population has, and LPA is the kind of major genetic risk factor for early cardiovascular disease. So everybody should have their LPLLA levels checked at least once in their life. And if elevated, uh, talk to somebody like myself or somebody who understands how you can mitigate all the other risk factors. Because right now there's not great treatment options for LPLLA. But anyway, the APOB would be the, the lab that I would look at. You know, if you have no known cardiovascular disease, so you've not had a heart attack, stent, bypass surgery, stroke, probably would like your APOB number to be around 90. If you already had one of those type of events, you probably want that number under 60. You know, there's a better chance that the arteries can um, do reverse cholesterol transport and you can shrink plaques down if your APOB numbers are closer to 60. Okay, that makes sense. And people should also look at their CAC score and correlation with that, do you think? For sure, because I mean, you know, I do have patients saying, oh, they're in their 70s and 80s and they have calcium scores of zero and they have quote high cholesterol. Right. You know, in, in the traditional world, you know, you see high cholesterol, and, you know, equals you should be on a statin, but statins are tools, you know, statins, you know, have other pleiotrophic effects. You know, yes, they lower the lipoproteins, but they lower inflammation. They help endothelial function. They change soft plaque into harder plaque. So it doesn't rupture. So, so somebody's already had a stent or bypass or heart attack. You're trying to prevent their second events. You know, if the person has a low calcium score and they're 80 years old, well, whatever they're doing is working for them those cholesterol particles are not getting retained in the arteries. So, you know, don't go messing around with the mother nature at that point, but that, you know, does kind of get the point, like, you know, should you be trying to lower your cholesterol levels to begin with? Right. Well, you know, like I said, mother nature put this stuff into you for a reason, but when people live outside of harmony with mother nature, uh, there's a lot of issues that go on with their system. You know, they, they hyper inflame their system. They oxidize their cholesterol and all this stuff is, you know, basically setting fire to their arteries. Well, this is the case where you maybe want to use modern medicine to kind of put the fire out while you're trying to change your environment. Got it. So if you prescribe statins to your patients, you're also working with them on their overall life, right? Their circadian rhythms and their light environment, all of that stuff, correct? For sure. For sure. Yeah. I mean, you now the, I learned it from somebody, you know, a wise healer uses whatever works, you know, try to use the least toxic thing to work. You know, sometimes modern medicine is the right answer. You know, you're trying to put out the fire while you're trying to figure out what put the fire in there in the first place. And then you're optimizing the circadian rhythms or lifestyle. And, you know, hopefully they've improved their quantum yield. And if they've done that, then you peel off, you know, the, the pharmaceuticals or the supplements that they've got, got to add it on to them. What type of supplements are, do you ever use supplements instead of a statin? And if so, what, which ones do you use? Um, I mean, it's, it's always individualized to, you know, what, uh, what is going on is the person, you know, hyper producing in the liver, you know, do I suspect they have an issue with their LDL receptor, not clearing it from the bloodstream or do I, have I done testing shows that they are hyper absorber of sterols, you know, if they're, you know, a hyper producer, yeah, you know, there's probably more options. So, you know, something like, you know, omega-3, you know, if people are going to supplement with omega-3, it basically will pull down that lever of making less LDL particles. You know, you'll have lower triglycerides, you know, quote, higher HDLC, which that's a whole nother story, you know, high cholesterol or high HDL doesn't necessarily mean that you are healthy. Um, but, you know, uh, the, the omega-3s will help lower the uh, production of those LDL particles. Um, you know, niacin can help, bile-acid sequestrins, uh, that's usually a prescription, but there are some kind of supplements that will you know, bind the bile. You know, bergamot is somewhat kind of like a natural HMG-CoA reductase inhibitor. That's the same enzyme that the statins work on. So not as strong as a statin, but, you know, can uh, pull down some of those ApoB containing particles. Uh, there's a supplement called berberine, 
berberine mm-hmm. is um, you know, typically used for kind of gut health, kind of like a, um, also kind of like metformin. It helps the body use mm-hmm. glucose more efficiently. But from a lipid standpoint, it's a weak PCSK9 inhibitor. So the PCSK9 inhibitors are the uh, injectable medications right now. Uh, Praluent and Repathor are the two on the market. There's a oral one coming soon. But PCSK9, uh, when it's, um, you know, basically um, the levels are knocked down low, the LDL receptor stays out longer and the blood is cleared more efficiently of these cholesterol particles. Uh, so those are kind of the main quote supplements I'll use if people are lower risk, they're, you know, either statin intolerant or, you know, just say, Hey, I'm just not taking a statin. Okay. Well, you know, work with us. Uh, let's try to get your ApoB numbers down to a certain level that the arteries aren't getting impacted anymore. Gotcha. That makes sense. I love that you use all different types of modalities for your patients, because I feel like so many of my clients have been, they have cholesterol. It's a little on the high side. And the first thing that the doctor wants to do is put them on a statin just like immediately. And it is so individual. You look at the whole lifestyle, right? For sure. And I mean, and you know, I, so I tell people, you know, stands are tools, you know, that, you know, I, I definitely disagree that the stand should be in the water. And I also disagree that stands are poisons that nobody should take it. Mm-hmm. You know, do I know that it affects the mitochondrial respiratory chains? Yes, I do know that, but you know, there are ways you can do it in a more safe manner. There's things you can supplement with to kind of support the body. You know, if you're going to be on a stand long-term, maybe you're doing intermittent dosing. And there's different stands that tend to work better for certain people. You know, there's ones that are more water soluble and there's ones that are more fat soluble, tend to use the more water soluble ones. Um, and then, you know, you check these genetic markers, you know, uh, essentially, you know, if you're going to dose a stand, what dose you're going to use. So use the right dose and the right type of stand. If you're going to pick it, you know, and make sure that person is high risk, you know, if they have a high risk calcium score test or high risk, um, you know, other type of vascular imaging, then, you know, uh, the stands are probably indicated to lower the risk while you're trying to figure out why that uh, uh, plaque was building up there in the first place. Awesome. That's, that's very helpful. I feel like I'm going to be sending some people your way (laughs) for sure. Um, One thing I wanted to talk to you about is sleep apnea. I feel like this is a, and, and how much you deal with that and how clinically you help people with that, because it's just a huge problem that so many people have sleep apnea. And as a cardiologist, I feel like we should be concerned, correct? Is and how that affects the heart, right? Very, very much so. Um, and you know, I you know take a pretty detailed history on people's sleep quality. And you know, a rough estimate. He always asked the 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 bed partner. You know, do they snore or stop breathing? Okay, that's a you know good starting point. But you know. You know, do you wake up in the morning? Do you feel rested? The answer is no. Uh, maybe they have apnea. You know, do you have headaches, dry mouth in the morning time? Do you feel like you got to take a nap before noontime to, you know, you know, get about your day? You know, do you easily fall asleep when you're like sitting in traffic, you know, at a light? You know, these are all things that like you weren't getting good restorative sleep at night. Mm-hmm. And basically, you know, anybody comes in to see a cardiologist who already has known vascular disease. So they got plaque somewhere in their arteries or they have an abnormal heart rhythm issue, especially atrial fibrillation you almost always assume they have a, you know, sleep apnea until you prove that they don't. Um, and now there's some companies that make some nice home uh, testing kits that measure, uh, the oxygenation also measures, uh, the peripheral tone. So you wear this you know, particular watch and you sleep in your own bed and the next day it tells you, you know, how many times you stop breathing in an, you know, an hour. And then, you know, if it's more than a mild, then, you know, probably therapy is indicated, you know, weight loss is always kind of the number one goal, you know, yeah 
kind of can change the dimensions of the neck. You know, sometimes the, that back of the airway doesn't collapse. So sometimes you can work with, you know, your dentist as well to make a mandibular device to keep the airway open. But if it starts to be more moderate or severe, then at least while you're trying to figure out if there's a reversible cause, uh, then that's when the positive airway pressures, the CPAPs and BiPAPs are useful uh, to keep the airway open so that the person's able to get some type of sleep so that their body's able to repair itself. You know, basically sleep apnea is just going to rapidly age you because you never get into that deep sleep. And so you never really do autophagy or apoptosis. Yeah, it's, it's really astounding how many people are suffering with sleep apnea now, and they really want to heal. They want to do all these things to improve their health, but I feel like they really need to tackle the sleep apnea before anything else is really going to be effective. That's correct. I mean, I, you know, you just talk about kind of being four pillars of health and everybody tends to want to focus on the nutrition and exercise. The ones that tend to skip over a little bit is, you know, the stress management, you know, stress is normal in your environment, but how well can you bounce back from that? How resilient are you? You know, from my world, that would be your heart rate variability. Uh, yes. but most people kind of, you know, overlook is the, the sleeping opponent to it. You know, they have that idea, you know, I'll sleep when I'm dead. And if they really uh, believe that they're going to be dead before, uh, before long. So <laughs> you should almost focus on that. Your sleep is the most important thing you need to do every day and build your life around that, you know, getting optimal sleep. And so, you know, if you have apnea, you got to get the apnea treated so that you can get to that you know, level of sleep that your body needs to repair itself. Yeah. And you mentioned heart rate variability. I feel like that's a term that a lot of people talk about today. I've got my, or it's on airplane mode. Don't worry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but you know, we are looking at these numbers and I don't think people really understand or know what they need to be looking for as far as HRV levels go. And it's individual, right? So what might be really low for me, um, or looking low for someone might be good for that person. Can you delve into that topic a little bit more? I know that's a loaded question. Sure. So, I mean, heart rate variability um, is the B2B difference uh, in your heart rate. So, you know, if you've ever put your fingers on your pulse and you're taking your pulse and you get, a, you know, one beat every second, you know, then uh, your heart rate is 60. So as you breathe in and out, there's different uh, stress and strain on the body as you're stimulating the vagus nerve. And so, you know, as you breathe in, you know, your heart rate expands, you breathe out, it contracts. So, you know, your heart rate's kind of, you know, going between 60 and it goes up to 70 and it drops down to 55. And, you know, it should be kind of a wide variance. It shouldn't be like a metronome just pounding at 60. And while you can measure your pulse, you know, manually, you cannot measure your heart rate variability manually because it's, you know, measured in milliseconds uh, for the people who can, you know, uh, read EKGs, you know, it's the RR interval that you're measuring. So there are different uh, trackers, uh, you know, the Oura ring can do it, the whoop band can do it. Uh, I, I tend to also like a one called Elite HRV, they have a little finger probe that does it, or you can uh, use a, you know, a chest strap that measures your heart rate and it'll uh, calculate the heart rate variability. There's different measurements of heart rate variability, so it's a little bit hard to say, okay, which number you're actually looking at. Sometimes they're just measuring the millisecond difference. Uh, then there's other things you can do that measure like the logarithmic uh, change in it. So um, I won't go in deep into that part, but you know, maybe I'll do a IG Live soon about just heart rate variability and say what are the different ones you should look at. But you think of the heart rate variability is just a metric of like how much stress your body's sensing at that moment. And yes, everybody's gonna have their own, you know, natural baseline. So I know sometimes it's popular online to, you know, compare your heart rate variability to somebody else's, you know, uh, it may not necessarily be, um, comparable. You know, you just want to know what your own baseline is. And then, you know, next morning you wake up and your heart rate variability is, you know, 20% lower than normal for you. Well, a, maybe you didn't sleep well, 
Two, maybe you did you know hard workout the day before you haven't fully recovered. Well, that just means it's not a day for you to you know go pushing it super hard in the gym if you're going to the gym that day. But three, maybe you know maybe you're coming down with a virus or something and your body's starting to fight that. So you know that's a day you want to really focus on recovery. So getting more sun exposure, you know, get your shoes off, go stand on the earth, you know, do all the things that you know to do to boost your redox potential, because the heart rate variability is somewhat of a metric of you know how well your redox potential actually is. Interesting. Yeah. My HRV was always in the twenties and I was like, oh gosh, I'm really not doing so well here. And then I quit coffee back in February of this year. And within just about a month, I would say it doubled and it's now, it was averaging like the teens and twenties. And now without the caffeine, without the coffee, it's forties, fifties, sometimes up to sixties. If I, I find if I mega dose CoQ10, I can get my HRV up like a lot higher. I'm like, I don't know if that's a good thing. I'm just kind of playing around with it, but it's interesting to see how that kind of plays out in my own body. For sure. And I mean, that's what I you know recommend the kind of the biohacker you know, mindset be is, you know, make some metric that you're going to follow. So it gets hard durability, change something up in your nutrition, you know, cut out caffeine, add something, you know, you know, definitely one of the things that, you know, thrashes most people's HRV is alcohol, especially the timing of yeah. it. So, you know, yeah. not recommending people be day drinkers, but keep it away from the time that you're going to sleep. And, you know, your heart rate ability should be better while you're sleeping then. Um, so yeah, just use it as a metric of, you know, if you have really low HRV, you know, look into your environment and try to figure out, is there something that you can mitigate um, and then retest it. And, you know, once your heart rate ability is you know, where you want to be, you don't necessarily need to be wearing the ring every day. Yeah, it's uh it's one of those things that can be really addicting. I'm trying to wean myself off of wearing my aura so much now that I'm really learning about circadian biology and all this stuff. I'm like, even though it's on airplane mode, I probably am tapping out my own body's battery just by having this thing on. Um, so it's it's we get so addicted to all of our metrics, you know, and the um I got a free Apple Watch with this company that want, you know, I, I'm talking about their product and a free Apple watch came with it and I haven't taken it out of the box. And they were like, how do you like the watch? I'm like, well, <laughs> I don't know if you want to have this conversation with me, but I'm not going to be, I would be glad to send it back to you. Cause you just couldn't pay me to put one of those on at this point, you know? Right. I mean, you know, it's, um, you know, it, it really sort of depends on, you know, if you're going to use something like that, do you fully you know, know what the side effects of wearing something like that is. And if you already know what it is, you're not going to put it on you to begin with. So right. you know, make sure that the information that you're going to gather from some type of device that's strapped to your body is worth, you know, the risk of it. Um, and, you know, get the information and then take the thing off. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's, it's one of those things. that's like a slow thing. I'm fine with keeping my windows open. Even if it's cold, I cold plunge in the mornings. I'm barefoot in my backyard all the time, but like, for some reason, taking my ring off is I feel naked without it. <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying to get there. Let's <laughs> say, so, I mean, one way to do it too is just don't wear it during the day. I mean, I've played around yeah. with the words. Yeah, just slap it on at night, airplane mode, take off in the morning, download the data, go upon your day. Yeah, that's the thing we were talking about in the, um, I told you before we started the interview, I'm doing this, the um, Quantum Health TV health coaching certification and one of the, there's actually a physician who's doing it with us and he wears an Apple watch. And we had this whole conversation last week about, you know, why do we need to have, like, you know, if you ran four miles, right? Like, <laughs> you know, if you worked out, do you really need to know how many steps you took that day? Do you really, 
need that information. I mean, it's, it's like, let's really think about that, you know? <laughs> also, I just think too, it's like, you know, how much, you know, do you need to be interrupted during your day? You know, every notification, every ding, like that's just so stressful to your system. Like, you know, can you just be one-on-one with somebody, you know, can you be in the moment? You know, when I got these devices that are always pinging you, you know, not only does it take away, you know, your emotional energy, it's literally going to be taking away your, you know, uh, mitochondrial energy as you're wearing these things on your body. You know, the, you know, the semiconductors and those things are stealing electrons from here, you know, carbon-based semiconductors. Yeah, that's, I know I had a, like I said, I talked with Dr. Gasvini last week and we kind of had a heart to heart. He's like, you know, your job, what you do for a living on the internet you might want to think about that if we're really wanting to talk about your mitochondrial health and optimizing, we really need to look at how much you're on your phone, seriously. And I was like, oh, well, <laughs> I'm just trying to mitigate it as well as I can. But it is some it is a conversation that I need to to have. It's like the more I'm on my phone getting these notifications and like uploading stories and interacting with people on my Instagram and on my YouTube, how much is that subtracting from my overall health? You know, I mean, a hundred percent agree. I mean, you know, social media is great that we can connect with people who are like-minded and you can learn from people all across the you know the world, but it definitely comes at a health consequence. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not hardcore enough where I could say that like, okay, if you're going to use social media, you got to be outside, you know, barefoot grounded in the natural sunlight, but maybe that's what we really got to tell patients. Like, you know, I'm not going to take your phone away, but, <laughs> but you have to be outside. You can't use it inside. You know, maybe just, you know, start there with some people. Yeah. I mean, that's my rule with myself. And I, I told Corey, I was like, well, when I'm checking my notifications, I swear to God, I'm barefoot in my backyard. <laughs> <laughs> And here, I mean, I've got my window open, my screen is on red and I have a grounding mat underneath my feet. So I have a few things and I don't have anything wired up to my head. So I have a few things I'm trying to do to mitigate because I know I, I know at this point how what I'm doing to myself. And it's like, all right, <laughs> you got to you got to figure out a way to balance it all if you're going to continue to be on your device, because yeah, we're all attached to our devices. I mean, some people never put them down. They're constantly on them and, and they're wondering, I mean, these are the clients I get. They're like, I can't lose weight. I can't sleep. I feel terrible. I'm not eating any carbohydrates. I'm buying all my food from a local farm. I'm, you know, doing all this stuff. And I'm like, well, let's talk about your habits with electronics, like, and, and how that could possibly be playing into your health and they don't want to hear it. But when you've tried everything else, it's like, okay, that's where I got to. And that's why I interviewed Dr. Cruz. I was like, all right, well, something's not clicking here. It's time for me to pay attention to this other stuff, you know? For sure. And I mean, and there's so many of those things that, you know, I've, I've listened to Dr. Cruz talk about, and like, you honestly don't even believe that it could be that simple or right. that could be that true. And just the, you know, seeing every sunrise is going to improve your mood and your sleep. And, you know, uh, I think the other big one was just that, like, you know, the, the, the hybrid tanning that like you could go outside, you know, get some red light in the morning time, and then you would never burn, or at least you'd be less likely to burn. Like, I just didn't believe that could be happening. And I did it. And I just, you know, I sits down Cancun for the past couple of days, teaching some other people how to do that. And it's just these simple things, you know, the more you reconnect with nature, the better you're going to do, you know, modern machines are great but know that there's going to be a health consequence of using that stuff. So, you know, the more sick you are, 
the more, you know, you're going to have to reconnect with nature. So it's not saying throw away your phone, but just know that uh, you need to be careful with these things. I agree. I agree. Well, I did want to ask you one more question. Uh, what would be your definition of like the perfect quantum day for yourself or for one of your patients? So a perfect quantum day would be you'd arise shortly before sunrise. If you're up before sunrise, you know, put on a pair of blue, black, and glasses that filter out that at high intensity blue light. You know, if you're inside, use you know, minimal lighting. If anything, if you're going to use lighting, tend to use amber or red lighting in the morning time. Once at sunrise, be outside, ideally barefoot or wearing some type of earth and grounding shoes and go for a walk, you know, be outside for at least 20, 30 minutes in the morning time, get your body moving. Um, then come inside, you know, have breakfast within an hour or so of, uh, that sunrise, ideally, you know, something probably mostly protein and fat, you know, heavy, you know, carbs based off your, you know, exercise ability, your you know, glucose tolerance to begin with, and then, you know, go about the day, you know, doing what you need to do. Um, if you have an inside job, you know, do your best to mitigate the light environment inside, you know, add more red light back inside and then get outside, you know, for, you know, sunlight breaks, you know, check in with the sun you know, a couple of times a day. So your body knows what time of day it is to make its hormones and neurotransmitters. And then stop eating at least three to four hours before you want to go to bed. Once it's dark in your home, uh, try to keep it that way and definitely put on your, your glasses, you know, probably the more dark ones an hour or so before you go to bed and just, you know, listen to your body signals. And when your body's tired, go to sleep. So, you know, there's not a magic number of hours you need to sleep, you know, generally gonna be between like seven and eight hours that you need to run your full, you know, repair programs, but just listen to your body. I love it. That's a great, great piece of advice. And, um, you know, you're obviously living it and, and working with your clients, helping them. Uh, what's the best way people can find you if they want to follow your work or if they even want to work with you? Well, thank you for the opportunity to chat with your audience. Um, you know, if people are more interested in, you know, the, the way that I practice, you know, my, my form of quantum cardiology, um, you know, I'm pretty active on Instagram. My handle there is uh, Dr. Twyman. It's D-R-T-W-Y-M-A-N. Website's the same. It's drtwyman.com. Awesome. And I'll make sure I link all of that in the show notes for everyone. So you guys can follow him and he does, you do Instagram lives just about every week, right? Generally do them every Monday night, six o'clock central time. Perfect. Awesome. Well, I'll link all that below and thank you so much for coming and chatting with me today. Thank you again. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode. I hope that it was helpful for you. If you found value in it, please head on over to Apple. Leave me up to that five-star review. Please take a screenshot of this, share it out on social media, tag me, tag Dr. Twyman. We would love to hear from you, especially if this episode impacted you in a positive way. I'm really excited to continue sharing information with you guys. I'm having a lot of fun talking to some really cool people here. I've got some amazing episodes coming up in the coming weeks. People that are in the carnivore and keto space that you have heard of, as well as more people in the quantum space that you probably have not heard of. But once you hear what they have to say, I think you're going to be really, really impressed, excited, and energized by that information. So stay tuned, make sure you're subscribed. And thanks again to my sponsors for helping out with today's episode, Optimal Carnivore, for all of your organ meat needs, Carnivore Y is my discount code there, and then Upgraded Formulas, the best magnesium I have ever had, and that hair tissue mineral analysis, absolutely invaluable for helping to balance your minerals. 
code over there is yogi12, anything on the Upgraded Formulas website you can save. And thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode. Stay tuned for next week's episode. I think I'm actually going to be putting out a bonus episode this week on Friday, which will be an Instagram live. I may not get it out till the weekend. Who am I kidding? (laughs) It may be Sunday before I get it out, but I'm doing an Instagram live this week with Carrie B Wellness and Dr. Corey Gasvini over on Instagram, all about cold therapy. So I'm gonna try to get that out on a podcast for you guys so you can listen to the audio only version. All right, that's enough chatter from me. Hope you enjoy the rest of your day and I'll talk with you guys again really soon, bye.